0: Hello, I'm Amber Lauva and welcome back to another episode of the Fashion Avenue Podcast. I took a couple of weeks off uploading due to the impacts coronavirus had on my podcasting schedule, but now I'm back and today is a bit of a different episode. I just want to preface this by saying that while I'm aware the coronavirus pandemic has impacted an array of industries, since this is a fashion and beauty podcast, I will solely be focusing on the effect coronavirus has had on the fashion and beauty industry and what the aftermath of this virus could look like. In this episode, I'll be diving into the strain the virus has caused in the fashion and beauty world and I interview some people who have been directly affected, such as local business owners as well as stylist Denny Tudurovich and SWF boutique founder Desiree Daravi. Also, some of these interviews were recorded prior to Australia's second stage. lockdown rules while others have been recorded as recently as this week. Now let's dive in. In Australia, we have seen the closures of beauty salons and services such as tanning and massage. Hairdressers and barbers can continue to operate. There was originally a limit of 30 minutes per appointment, but that was lifted because honestly, who can get a cut and colour in 30 minutes? Not me. So walking through your local shopping centre will show you fashion and beauty stores are no longer open. And really, how could they be? We're told to social distance and not go within 1.5 metres of each other. There was no other option. So retail has taken a massive hit here in Australia. Department store Myer closed stores and 10,000 staff will be stood down. Mecca has closed all stores around the country. Premier Investments who own Just Jeans, Portman's, Smiggle, Peter Alexander and JJ's announced they will also be temporarily closing. Cotton On have closed 650 stores around the country. And these are just some of the brands affected. Shopping centers are ghost towns and you should only be at a shopping center for essentials such as medical appointments, work or buying food. While our big shopping center retail stores have taken a huge hit, let's take a look into our business owners here in Australia and how coronavirus has affected them.
1: My name's Gareth Philpott. I'm the CEO and owner of the Littian Institute and the Barber Academy in Australia. We are private RTOs, so basically exactly the same as tape but we are actually privately owned, not government owned. So basically we teach um, Cert 3 in hairdressing, Cert 3 in beauty and Cert 3 in barbering as well.
0: So how is this big coronavirus pandemic affecting your businesses at the moment?
1: Yeah, so basically our training is mostly um, face-to-face. So obviously we've had to change that up a little bit. Also, our trainers actually go out to the salons and train our apprentices in the salons. We've been told that that's probably not the best thing to do. So we've had to kind of done a little bit of distance learning or bringing the students into our salon as well, which it can also cause its own little problems as well.
0: How is it looking at the moment? What are your options?
1: Yeah, so basically what we've done, we um, kind of made all the salons aware on the weekend of what we're going to go ahead with which is distance learning obviously who knows what will be next probably the next step is purely online um mm-hmm. but the problem with purely online is we don't get paid so the only way we get paid is by doing theory and practical so yeah it's not only um hurting our business it's also hurting these students who cannot Continue doing their practical and progressing in their course. So domino effect.
0: Yes, a lot of setbacks for them and for you. How are you standing? I guess in terms of financials for your business and yourself.
1: Yeah. So obviously it's tight already. It's um it's a fun business to be in the education world, but we we're not really in it for the financial gains. Although what we've had to do is basically strip back hours for trainers and ourselves, um, obviously, which again leads to the domino effect of our trainers now don't have the amount of hours of what they used to have. But I suppose it's the the kind of mentality that at least we've got jobs at the moment, um, because obviously, yeah, there's a lot of people going around who are saying we've been let off and so on and so on. Now the concerning issue obviously is whether we will still be a business by the end of financial years.
2: My name is Kyan Bismarck. I am a business owner of Kyalicious Hair and Beauty as well as I work as an educator for an Australian product company, Knack Hair. It's been a bit surreal I guess because I've been head of hair for Knack so working on this TV production in Sydney that's been shut down. We have celebrities who are coming from overseas who are going to have to self-isolate and go into lockdown when they come back so it's just basically delaying all production so what's actually happened is there's a lot of freelancers that work on the show that obviously don't get a wage if we're not there and I'm in that boat I get paid an hourly rate for every time I'm there and on Tuesday morning the morning that I was meant to fly out um they postponed production. So at this stage, the production has um, halted for three weeks. So that meant no income from that, no compensation as such, because being a contractor with NAC and as an educator, it's, as you go work. So if salons demand you to be in there, then we're there. We're having a lot of salons starting to freak out and not spend money on education. They're all getting ready to maybe shut down if they have to because they've got no clients coming through. It's really full on. So I do have a little bit of What I sort of put aside as emergency savings and that was going to be if we had a tough month in business or if um, something happened even just with the salon that we had to do a renovation or even just a personal thing with our house or I've got a six-month-old baby. So I've got a little bit there that I can afford to pay my staff, probably cover all my um, bills. But moving forward from that, it is going to set me back quite a bit because I am a small business. I'm not a large corporation and I've only been running for, it'll be three years at the end of this year. And I never really set up to have my own business, but as a lot of freelancers find, they have a big following of clientele. There's a demand for it. So I just kind of set it up as I went, and it's just grown and grown. But, you know, having the stress of having a mortgage, having a baby, as well as two staff members to support, yeah, I, I think it, a lot of people are going to hurt. I'm just hoping that I can survive and my business can survive this. And I think you've got to stay positive. I think. There's always going to be something in business, whether it's only yourself that gets affected or as we're going to notice, there's going to be millions of businesses all across Queensland and Australia that are going to go through this with me. And you just hope that your clients and family and everyone is going to get behind you and support you, I guess.
0: Denny, thank you for providing some insight into your experience uh, so far with the coronavirus pandemic and how you've been affected.
3: No worries, darling. Pleasure.
0: I thought um, I would just come out and ask you straight up, uh, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected your work as a stylist?
3: Well, it's a very big question. I mean, from from the second, um, all of this really began to unfold. So I want to say like close to three weeks. I'm on like day 17 of self-isolation. So yeah, about three weeks ago. And um, I was very, very concerned, but I had to sort of put my concerns on the back burner to help my parents with their um, hospitality business for about a week. Mm-hmm. So um, in that moment, I sort of was like all hands on deck with mum and dad. And then once I got them all set up to go, I sort of sat down and had a bit of a panic attack because instantly I just thought, okay, wait a second, how is this going to work? The first thing that always goes are the luxuries. So, you know, what I offer or what my friends who work PR and marketing offer is considered to be a luxury. So, you know, it was just alarm bells, alarm bells, alarm bells for like the first two days. I was like, how am I going to do this? Like, how how will I cease to exist essentially?
0: And how are you coping now?
3: Well, okay. So, I'm a firm believer, my darling, in that you know everything happens for a reason, even the completely effed up things, and there's always a silver lining. So after the initial kind of shock um, set in, I instantly kind of wanted to talk to like-minded people and people who work in my industry. So um, I reached out to a few creatives just around my own local area, and then my really good friend Mariam Sadiq, who's a um, amazing designer in Sydney. She created a bit of a community for all of us to get together. And we basically all had this um, Zoom meeting um, like two weeks ago. I think there was about 20 of us, all from various oh. um, yeah, from various walks of the industry. And I left that meeting just feeling so inspired and, and kind of feeling like everything was going to be okay because I'm a solutions kind of guy always by nature. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I started to stop and think, okay, how is this going to change my business? I instantly went into like solutions. Um, and then having that conversation with that uh, team of people, just instantly reinstated to me that okay, I'm on the I'm on the right train of thought here with the solutions that I came up
0: with. Realistically, uh, what yep. are your options here? Um, yep. Obviously, your work as a stylist has been put on hold. What are your options yep. here? I guess. When it comes to perhaps financially, is there, yeah. are you getting on to Centrelink, all of that stuff? What's the go there? Yeah,
3: so I guess um, from a government perspective, mm-hmm. um, I, for the first time in my life, have applied to Centrelink and I'm, that, I'm sort of still in the process of that. So because I'm like a, uh, a sole business trainer, I will receive some kind of benefits from the government, which is great. It's just obviously taking a bit of a lengthy time. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have my column in the um, GT, which is a a, a newspaper down here. So I do that once a week. So that's, you know, a bit of income coming in from there. Yeah. But then from the other side of things, I think what I've decided, and I haven't really launched this, but I probably will launch this next week, actually, so your listeners will get the first little scoop on that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I... I've been thinking about going back to basics. For me, when I first started off styling, and even before styling, I'm working in retail, there's nothing I love more than really like overhauling a person's look. And that always begins in their wardrobes at home. And because they're spending so much time at home anyway, I was like, oh, maybe I could offer people virtual wardrobe overhauls and that kind of virtual consultations around like, you know, finding your personal style. So that's something I'm going to launch online next week and yes. it'll be very at a, at a very small cost because, you know, things are tight for everyone. So it's, it's not about making, like, bucket loads of cash but it's about, you know, providing a service that I think is of value um, at, an affordable, at an affordable price um, and we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Or if I can help people, you know, clean out their wardrobes and in turn I can make a little bit of money. So um, I was kind of doing that anyway um, from, like, a personal shopping perspective through Westfield. So it'll kind of be similar to that but just on a on a little bit more intimate, like in our bedroom kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, amazing. It's good that yeah. you have some options there and you've already thought about, you know, a lot of things going on. What do you think your job will look like after all of this?
3: I think it's gonna take a little bit of time for the fashion industry to get back on its feet. I think I actually said something um, last week I did I've been doing these weekly um kind of Insta Lives and one of them is where I sort of answer viewers' questions. And a viewer asked me, um, what do you think, um, how do you think COVID will affect fashion? Because fashion has always been a representation of the world around us. And I said to her that what I hope fashion looks like post-COVID is that I hope it encourages the industry at large to slow down. Because mm-hmm. prior to this, you know, the industry moved at such a rapid rate. Like, so, you know, maybe say 10 years ago, so much was asked of designers as it is. Like, they have to pump out like six, six, six collections a year um, across, you know, women's wear, men's wear, accessories. Like, it's yeah. a lot. And that's why we saw lots of designers kind of lose their shit, to be honest. Like, you know, end up in rehab or quit their job, you know, this, that and the other. Yeah. Then then you see in the last five years with the introduction of social media and reality television and sort of celebrity it's even more rapid because now no longer do we have seasons because we live in such a globalized world. If Kylie Jenner is living in America and she posts something that she's wearing during winter, we'll be we it next week. We don't care what season we are right yeah. now. We want to wear that piece because it's on trend at that moment in time. And then in two months, we're going to throw that away. And then we're going to buy the next thing that Courtney Kardashian wears. And it's like so unsustainable as an industry. Um, mm-hmm. It's unsustainable for us as consumers. Like it's just, I feel like it was almost about to reach a point of like self-destruction. So what I hope is that after all of this, we can just go back to actually appreciating quality. Like asking less of our designers um, and asking them to to produce things that that are beautiful and that they love producing and that are made ethically.
0: Absolutely, and I think, you know, sustainability can definitely trump fast fashion with all of this happening. Mm. And also, how do you think the kind of um in-store or buying experience, you know, that, mm. that face-to-face in-store buying experience? How do you think that's going? Do you think that will change? Do you think that will be looked at differently?
3: Babe, honestly, I hope that this sort of reinvigorates people to actually go and have those in-store retail yeah. experiences because Truly, I really hope it does because I think online shopping is amazing, obviously. But, like, again, it's kind of like if we're going to have to spend the next eight months, six to eight months, just say, I, I saw a news report the other day that said that it's likely that Australia will look this way till October, right? So, yeah. okay, let's say between now and October, you spend every week shopping online and you have no other choice than to shop online. As soon as you're allowed out of your house, wouldn't you want to just walk into a department store and just like touch fabric and speak to people? Like I hope that it really, again, reminds us of the things that we've taken for granted. Mm. So that's what I would love to see because, you know, so many people, so many businesses are having to close and shut down and like really struggle. I w- I think it would be a really quite a beautiful thing for, for all of us to just jump back and support them as soon as this is all over. Um, right. Because, you know, because, I think for a long time those experiences have been, have been taken for granted. I was having a conversation with my friend Lana Wilkinson the other day about how like boutique shopping, that doesn't exist anymore. Like we used to go to these boutiques and we used to meet the yeah. girl who worked behind the counter and like it was a yeah. whole thing. And, and now with the internet we don't have that anymore. So I hope that um, all of this isolation will just like set a bit of a fire under everyone's bums to like want to run to their nearest or, you know, David Jones or wherever, really.
0: Yeah, turn back time a bit.
3: Yeah.
4: My name is Molly Dunkle, and I'm the founder of Dunkle Authentic, which is a feel good makeup and skincare label that I handmade here in Brisbane. About two months ago, I made the decision to move into a new studio space. So I recently moved into California Lane, um, which is in Fortitude Valley. Mm-hmm. So I moved in really only opened the doors four weeks ago. So it was, um you yeah, know, it was an exciting big jump for me. And, and I was really, really excited to go in there and to be able to, after running the business online for the last six and a half years, this was the first time I had the opportunity to have people come in and clients interact with the brand on a whole different level. So, you know, see what the raw materials were, be able to smell the olive oil that goes into the um, lipsticks and and see where I make it all in the process. Mm -hmm. So with um, coronavirus, as you know, makeup and skincare, it's such an intimate um, experience when you're working with a makeup artist or if someone's coming into the store and they want to try on a foundation and get matched try on a lipstick um, you know the coronavirus has really just completely stopped that whole the whole side the whole studio really um, I can't I can't do that comfortably knowing that there's that potential risk um, you know we're, we're not really supposed to be touching our faces you know after being out in public so it's it's just that point where you just really have to put your foot down and say, no, you know, I have to close the doors for now. How
0: does that work with the lease or how like repayments on that? If obviously you've stopped trade for now?
4: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the, The owners of the laneways—they've—they've really been amazing. Like, for example, with International Women's Day, they—they put on you know this free event for all the women, kind of in the laneway, and opened it to the public. So you know they wanted to support small business. They're all about just helping. Grow and foster those creative industries. You know, my neighbors are. Um, one of them is Alice Nightingale. She hand makes all of her clothes using like beautiful refurbished um, materials. So you know, she's in there on her sewing machine, and um, there's people around the corner, you know, also hand making. So they're they're so excited about these small businesses. So they are trying to help. Um, in terms of, you know, at this point, we are still still liable to pay rent, um, potentially, you know, options to maybe defer that for a little while. But at the moment, it's still that we're responsible for that. Um, wow. But, you know, I think they're, they're taking that on board and, and I think they'll do everything they can to help out. They've sent us like really beautiful, encouraging messages. So um, I feel really lucky to be where I am um, right. in terms of knowing that I can trust. That they've got our best interests at heart.
0: Yeah. And are your days, are they feeling different? Like are you you seeing like the impact with any orders coming in? Are you seeing lower numbers or is it kind of staying the same? So the way I've run the studio is actually,
4: if you think about it kind of like a cellar door. So, you know, where I'm making the products in there, I've got to keep the doors shut during that point. Mm -hmm. But while I've got these open studio days on weekends, that's when I would have people coming in. So, of course, without those open studio days, I was, I mean, I have noticed it completely drop off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, luckily I can still do the online orders, which I also was still doing previously. It's just that access to the bigger, essentially like mini events yeah. um, every couple of weeks that yeah it's really stopped in a way it makes us rethink and question processes and think about how we can do things more efficiently so if there's anything you know we can get a few creative ideas coming through this and um you know maybe it'll ultimately help a lot of businesses you know who can pull through
0: Next up, I have Desi Dharavi from SWF Boutique. I recently had Desi on my podcast, uh, much like Denny. So if you would like to listen to those episodes, you are more than welcome to go back and have a listen. This chat with Desi was really interesting. She's been working with her team of sewers to create 100% cotton face masks for people who are in need. And we will dive into uh, the kind of almost debate that going on between PPE equipment and uh, masks that uh, fashion designers and labels are making. But first of all, I wanted to get an insight into how her business is going during the coronavirus pandemic and uh, what changes she has had to make uh, during this time and how the brand has had to adapt. How has the coronavirus pandemic affected SWF Boutique?
5: The pandemic has affected, I mean, so many industries, um, but directly with the fashion industry, you can imagine with online sales, wholesale sales, um, payment, invoice payment, uh, shipment, staff. I mean, that list goes on and on. It's affected our business quite dramatically, actually, um, as I'm sure it has affected many other people's businesses as well. You know, I think there was a lot of panic and fear and, um, initially. And I think, you know, when, when everything, all the bricks and mortar, uh, stores were asked to close down, um, or shut down temporarily, there was a lot of fear and panic then. Um, and so, you know, a lot of our invoices haven't been paid, um, the cash flow is affected, online sales have dropped off, um, anything basically to do with sales and cash flow has been affected.
0: How has your business adapted during, I guess, the last month or the last few weeks during this change?
5: I think everything is changing so quickly with this. I mean, we saw it roll out through America and then roll out through Australia and I'm in Indonesia and now it's rolling out here and it was happening so quickly and day to day there was changes so you know we were forced to make some really swift decisions around our business and say production timelines orders um where our money was being spent staff collections social media um so you know there was some things that we did quite quickly and um swiftly to try and restructure the business to adapt and, you know, like I said, it, it was changing and it still is changing daily. So, you know, we, we are forced to just keep changing with it and keep pulling with what comes our way. So, you know, for example, our social media, um, we, we weren't pushing a lot of product on that um, platform for quite a few weeks. So in the fashion industry, we work about four months in advance. And um, so basically what was, what we had done six months ago and, and four months in advance kind of felt like it was all a waste. Wow. So I had to quickly try and decide what I wanted to do here. And, you know, it was on the front foot with our retailers and um, our partners and offered them cancellations for the next three months on their orders just because you know, as a small business owner I know how hard it is with the cash flow at the moment and yeah. you know offered them that and you know we'll restructure our collection launch date for a more appropriate launch where all that hard work from the last six months will be recognized and will be embraced and you know, it's, it's a more, I'm hoping, a happier time for everybody in the future than it is right now.
0: What has been your biggest concern or your biggest hurdle in all of this so far? I think with many small
5: businesses and the fashion industry, freelancers, everybody, you know, who who has been affected, it's cash flows. You know, paying, paying staff wages, it's having enough money to... Um, write this out and come out the other end and be there when things do settle down. The priorities are having, you know, being also being positive, like saying that we will make it and we will get through this, but let's just navigate what we can at this time and until we can come out the other end, yeah. you know, and keeping our partners, like our wholesale partners and retailers, keeping that partnership there as well, like working together, we'll get there.
0: We will. Do you, well, how do you think this pandemic will affect the fashion industry moving forward?
5: Well, I think it's already definitely affected it um, quite significantly. I think there'll be a lot of clutter that will be cleared.
3: Mm -hmm. I think we're
5: oversaturated, you know, really oversaturated. And I think. In terms of SWF, I was already being concerned and getting carried away with the label being too fast, too quick, you know, and it was kind of moving away from our ethos. Mm -hmm. And I had voiced my concerns regarding that old saying, be careful what you wish for, um, kind of before this whole thing took off because I was like, I think we need to slow down a little bit, it's getting a little bit too fast, Um, it's not in line with what SWF stands for, Um, You know, and I was voicing all of that and then the pandemic happened and it was almost like, here you go. I guess smarter choices and environmentally friendly choices, quality, not quantity, um, and, you know, possibly producing less and having a slower pace would be really the ideal.
0: And how can people and consumers better support businesses like yours during and after coronavirus? Look, I think at the moment anyone with an online platform um,
5: and if a consumer... It is in their means to support a business, then that would be the best way to support them. I think we spoke about this before. Whereas, like at the moment, I'm not into pushing products, but you know that's the only way that small businesses can can survive through this and can keep going. So, you know, it is it is something that um, it doesn't feel really authentic for me at the moment. It is something that is um, critical in keeping a business afloat.
0: Desi and I also spoke about how a lot of brands are now doing face masks that you can purchase and SWF Boutique are doing the same and this is what Desi had to say.
5: If you have something passing it on, like it's never going to stop you from getting corona but it's just one other barrier that will help aid in protecting yourself and the community. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, what I wanted to say is that we're donating um, the masks to healthcare workers.
2: Oh, that's amazing! And then,
5: and we're also donating um, a large percentage of the um, whatever we get in the sales to the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. Oh,
0: that's
5: um, Because they have like a Corona wing, and the only money we're keeping is to keep the staff going sewing. So, wow. so it's kind of like everyone's <laughs> winning. The fabric is I'm donating. The fabric it's cut off from clothing that we've had 100 percent cotton um all in our signature prints and wow. um so that that was already there you know so that yeah. was that was stuff that was already there for for me and the only reason we're not donating 100 percent of the funds is because I want to I want to pay the sewers to do extra work in this quiet time so they yeah. can have a job as well I think also it's important to know that you know even if People aren't making the PPEs, uh, gowns or masks or any other protective equipment. It's important to know that even if you are making just like the 100% cotton mask, because there is a shortage of the PPE or any kind of medical grade masks, they should be the one that are used in the front line. They should be the one that are used.
0: Now, on the back of that, there is something I would like to address I saw an article recently published by Fashion Journal, and before I go any further, I would like to say I have always really respected Fashion Journal and have been an avid reader over the years. As someone in fashion, this has been a constant source of industry information for me. However, I was left disappointed by an article published by them in the past week. This article was titled, Australian Fashion Label Slammed for Selling Useless Coronavirus Marks. This article, in my opinion, was written in a way that was on the verge of bullying a particular fashion label here in Australia. This article was written slamming fashion label Natalie Rolt. Natalie Rolt is a WA-based fashion label and I actually wore one of her beautiful dresses for my birthday years ago. And so for me as a supporter of this brand and as someone who has watched this brand grow over the years, I felt this was unfair. Natalie Rolt was publicly slammed in this article for producing face masks for purchase during the coronavirus pandemic we are currently going through. The subheading of this article was disappointed but not surprised. First of all, the person who wrote this article has remained anonymous. There is no byline. And as a journalist myself, I think if you're going to write a piece, especially if it is challenging or slamming a company, or in this case, a homegrown fashion label, put your name on it. To not put your name on something like this is cowardly and shows that your motive was not to be kind. The article went on to say, but then there are labels who are potentially capitalizing on the situation by selling reusable face masks that don't actually offer any protection against coronavirus. So now I'm going to continue reading this article to you so you can fully understand the context in which this was said, and also so you may form your own opinion. So this is what it goes on to say The only catch. They're not medically graded, making them absolutely useless in the face of a deadly virus. While the company has been upfront about the lack of medical grading and there is a pocket on the masks where you can insert your own air filter, it all feels a bit There are other more tangible ways to help the community than trying to profit off coronavirus in such a blatant way. Like maybe purchasing air filters, putting them in said masks and donating them to healthcare workers who are facing a global shortage of personal protective gear? Fortunately, it does appear that the label has recognised this, pulling the masks off their website. Hopefully, they can put any money made towards helping one of the many organizations that are in dire need of financial aid right now this article is absolutely disgraceful. And let me tell you why I find this article to be so and what I believe Fashion Journal are missing here. Firstly, I want to highlight that yes, there is a difference between medical grade face masks compared to perhaps cotton masks or masks of that nature that are non-medical grade, which are being produced right now by our local fashion labels and labels around the world. We're aware that masks that aren't producers medical grade will not protect you from coronavirus. But there is a strong element of peace of mind that these masks bring. If you feel better doing your grocery shopping with a mask, so be it. The same if you are out in public and someone perhaps is coughing or sneezing around you. The same goes for reducing the amount of times you touch your face, which has been advised as something to stop doing by medical professionals to help to protect yourself from the virus. Secondly, in this article slamming Natalie Rolt for not making surgical eye masks, they actually embedded her post of the masks where the caption addressed that exact fact. So here's what Natalie Rolt's caption said. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have recognised that our community are an extreme shortage of surgical and N95 masks. Our alternative Whilst not a direct substitute, does attempt to relieve demand in order to ensure that medically graded masks are available for our valued frontliners, doctors, nurses and others. Made from 100% cotton, our quality wash and reuse facial mask is constructed and made in-house and features a pocket for those to insert an air filter if desired. Please be aware this product is not medically graded. We recognize that our facial mask isn't perfect. However, in these times, our team are doing all that we can. Highly respected fashion news and media website, Business of Fashion, recently posted on their Instagram that fashion brands are jumping on board to produce protective face coverings. Brooks Brothers, New Balance, Louis Vuitton, these brands have set up workshops to produce non-medical masks. The caption of the Business of Fashion Instagram post says... While fashion brands are unable to provide N95 and other medical-grade protective masks, which are in shortage across the world, mind you, before this pandemic, Australia only had one PPE manufacturer, they are responding to a growing need for non-medical masks to protect essential and healthcare workers. My question to Fashion Journal is, given that information, is this any different to local distilleries manufacturing and selling hand sanitizer? Because essentially this is the same thing. So here are some points distilleries and fashion labels have in common with producing face masks and hand sanitizer. Number one, demand. There is a demand for these products. Whether you believe it or not, there is. Number two, they have the resources to do so. And number three, businesses are trying to stay afloat and to pay their staff and keep them on board. So many people in this country are losing their jobs and these businesses are trying their best to ensure that they can still keep their staff on the roster. I think Fashion Journal have missed the mark, especially when brands are trying to reduce demand for vital PPE equipment that is needed by healthcare workers on the front line by offering an alternative to everyday Australians. For example, Ford Millinery have created a fantastic campaign. It's called Masks for Mates, which are offering an alternative to those who aren't on the front line. They've created eco-friendly fabric masks, serving as a fun and fashionable reminder to keep your hands away from your face. For every mastermate's purchase, Ford Millinery are donating a mask to mates in need, such as the Salvation Army. An article posted by Ragtrader this month, which is titled, New South Wales Government Calls on Local Manufacturers to Make This Garment, goes into how our local brands are jumping on board to manufacture PPE equipment for our healthcare workers. Six days after slamming Natalie Rolton in an article, Fashion Journal posted another article praising Scanlon Theodore for repurposing its Fiji factory to make PPE equipment. The article also mentions that Nobody Denim are offering the federal government their factory to produce surgical masks and gowns. So how come some fashion brands are being praised for making PPE and who may very well be funded by the government to do so, but local businesses trying to provide protection to everyday Australians and beyond are seen as the enemy? Mind you, on the New South Wales government website, you can register your interest to manufacture PPE and you'll be connected to New South Wales government buyers. So is this not the same thing? Aren't we all trying to jump in and do what we can? Aren't all fashion brands trying to do what they possibly can to stay afloat? Whether that's assisting the government with equipment or providing alternatives to essential workers and anyone who simply just wants to break the habit of touching their face during this pandemic. Now going back to Natalie Rolt, what she chooses to do with money made from selling face masks is her choice. She is a business providing a solution to those who need the peace of mind while also keeping her staff employed. She has absolutely every right to do what she wants to. So how come Fashion Journal know her motives? I feel it was an article that lacked research and facts on how non-surgical face masks are needed in our communities. I want to also point out that there are some Australian labels who have the capacity to sell internationally to people who actually need masks and who are in desperate need. This isn't just about Australia. They are providing a much-needed service to people around the world in dire circumstances. Shouldn't we be supporting our economy? Don't small businesses have every right to keep their business and their staff afloat? We are in desperate times and we need to get behind our local businesses and support them in any way we can. We are all in this together. Don't forget that. To conclude, I'd like to open my emails up to anyone who would like to discuss this fashion journal. You are most welcome to reach out. All in all, we need to band together and we need to support all industries who are doing their best to stay afloat in this dire time. Stay safe and I will speak to you in my next episode of Fashion Avenue Podcast. Bye.